All right, we're in Genesis chapter 28, starting with verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. He dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Word of God, you may be seated. In today's reading, the Word of God. We see Jacob having a pivotal moment in his life. As these three were sharing right here, um, I think we all recognize that was a pivotal moment in their life. Pivotal moments come along every now and again, a lot of times very unaware. They change our life. Our life was one way, one moment, and then this happens and it changes. Physically, this happens when we get married. I was doing some marriage counsel, uh, premarital counseling this other week, and I told, I told one of the people, I said, um, this is, it's going to change your whole life, and you, you will notice it like months after. You're going to be like, this person isn't leaving. You know, they're not going back home. We're, we're starting this life together. I've been told the birth of your first child is one of those pivotal moments. Your life was one way, and then all of a sudden this happens, it completely changes. In our nation, we've had pivotal moments. You know, before I was alive, of course, the world wars, the civil war. In my lifetime, I remember when 9-11 happened, the destruction of the trade towers. And I remember my, one of my teachers just crying because she, she said that she never wanted us to go through something like this. And I didn't understand at the time. I do sense then that before 9-11, there was a way Americans thought about themselves as safe. Nothing would touch us. 
Then all of a sudden we, we, we open, we turn on the news and we see these trade centers going down. I didn't even know what they were, but I understood something significant happened. More important than the physical pivotal moments in our life are those spiritual pivotal moments. For you guys going to El Salvador, ministering, that was a pivotal, spiritual pivotal moment. The, the, the biggest, the major, the, the sole pivotal spiritual moment in your life is when you repented and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Your whole world changed. In fact, I wouldn't even say your life changed. You were given life because you were dead in your transgressions and sins. I came to the Lord in junior high, and I've talked about this before, that the next day it felt like, it felt like I never saw color before. Then all of a sudden I could see color. Now, it wasn't like that. I wasn't colorblind before I got saved. But I, I try to express how different life was. I didn't realize I had been dead in my transgressions and sins. I had now been given life. And it was this incredible pivotal moment that has impacted every area of my life ever since. And it continually works itself out. That's why we're told to work at our salvation in fear and trembling. I remember when the Lord baptized me in the Holy Spirit. It was, it was very similar to that. Changed my life. Um, pivotal moment in my life. And here's the thing. Every time, every time I pray without distraction and I read the scriptures, I meditate on the scriptures, it's a pivotal moment in my life as well. I encounter the God of the universe. And that's what we had in our reading today. Jacob, it's his first spiritual encounter with the Lord. We saw a lot of things. God's hand on his life. The whole reason he even existed was because his mother prayed, because, sorry, his father prayed for his mother and she conceived with Jacob and Esau. And we saw that even though he had done it the wrong way and he will pay for doing it the wrong way, but God's hand being on him that the older would serve the younger this will be the first time, however, he actually encounters the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And one day he'll be known as the God of Jacob. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir over all things, through whom also he created the world. Those many ways are varied ways. There are different ways. Let's look at just some of the encounters people have in the scriptures. Moses, for instance, God appears to him in a burning bush. The fire doesn't consume the bush and God speaks through this burning bush to him, something that's not replicated in the rest of the scriptures. Isaiah, the year his king dies, he sees the Lord high and lifted up and his response, of course, is utter dread. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips, and I've seen the great God Almighty. He says he is undone. It means coming apart at the seams. Peter, the apostle, he had heard the call from Jesus to follow him, and he was following Jesus. But really, probably wasn't until after the resurrection and the ascension he truly understood, but he got a sense of it even early on in the ministry, because he, go, he goes to see where Christ is at. He's on this hill. And Christ all of a sudden is dressed in white. This man that he'd been following, he all of a sudden he realizes that he is not just a man. He's the Christ, the son of the living God. And Moses and Elijah are with him. We call this the transfiguration. The Lord with the glory akin to the glory that he had shared with the father before the foundation of the world. Now we go back to our scripture today. When Jacob 
left home, Isaac blessed Jacob. Blessing in Hebrew means to lean down, to lean in close, to bow down. Man, did God fulfill his part in this because he is about to lean down. He's about to get nice, close, and personal with Jacob. Encounters with God are powerful. They are God leaning down to us. This is his first encounter that Jacob has with God. His fathers had several encounters as well. Some encounters are visions. Um, This isn't a vision. A vision is a waking encounter with God where God sends visuals to you. A dream happens when you're sleeping. Jacob has a dream, and this dream was, let me tell you three things this dream was. One, it was unexpected, encouraging, and empowering. I guess this is really like five, but I, three sounds always, always sounds better. Um, so one, it was unexpected. He was not seeking the Lord at this time. He was just laying down because he was tired. It was encouraging. God tells him he'll be with him. He will take care of him. There's a future in this. It's also empowering. You can imagine, you can imagine when things get rough, when his future father-in-law lies and cheats, Jacob clings on to the promises he's heard. It's empowering. Two, this might surprise you. It was not normative, meaning this didn't happen all the time. He has very few encounters with God in his life, even though he is one of, one of the most significant people in all of the scriptures. In fact, we call the people of Israel today Israel. They were the Hebrews. They are the people of Israel. And it's because of Jacob, because of what God did to Jacob. Here's the third thing. When we talk about encounters with God, like the one we're talking about today, it's not necessary for faith. Let me get to something really, really deep right now. You do not need to have an encounter with God like this to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the problem we see in churches like ours, charismatic Pentecostal churches, because we believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit today. People base their whole faith on this, and this is not guaranteed for any person. A vision like this. So so I'll, I'll watch videos and people are like, God, I just need you to show me that you love me. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If Christ dying for you is not enough, nothing will be enough. At the end of this encounter, he's still not a person of faith. You know, at the end of this encounter, God tells him, I will. And Jacob says, if he will. This encounter is not necessary. What I mean by that is that it is not guaranteed. It's all of grace and not everyone gets this kind of encounter. Let's look at Jacob's second to youngest son, Joseph. Arguably the one individual in the Old Testament who operates in faith and doesn't compromise. Arguably almost probably the most, nearly the most accomplished person in the faith in the Old Testament. He followed the will of God in his life and he never has an encounter exactly like this. He is given a dream by God, but this one that Jacob has is more significant because God speaks to him in his dream. Joseph's dream, God does not speak to him, but shows him a portent of things to come. But that was enough for Joseph because like his, like his great grandpa Abraham, he believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Encountering God, encounters with God are not all the same. We already see this in the matter that the encounters that they come in, come to place. Even with between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
We also see it in very degrees of glory as well. The Apostle Paul, he speaks to this at length in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, about the glory of the Old Covenant and the glory of the New Covenant. Once again, there's problems in our circles in which we chase the glories of the Old Covenant. This is improper and wrong because we have a greater glory inside of us. So we read about in the Old Testament about God parting the Red Sea, about the cloud of glory by by day and a pillar of fire by night. And there are people, they seek after this. But Paul says, the glory that's inside of you by the Holy Spirit is greater and long-lasting. Can you put up the scripture for me, please? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, if the ministry of death, that's the old covenants, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? As we go throughout Corinthians, Paul even says, the one who says, let, let light shine out of darkness has caused his light to shine in your hearts. The miracle of creation of what the Lord, when it was all dark and formless in the void, he says, let there be light that shines in you. So as we read about this, I don't want you to seek experience, but relationship, because that is your heritage in Jesus Christ. Encountering with God, um, there is no miracle greater in all of creation, all of history, and all of the cosmos, than the regeneration of a soul. The glory is greater, the power is more, and the effect is eternal. Moses, when he came down from the mountain, his face shone so bright, they put a veil over his face, but it was fading. The glory of the new covenant is eternal, and it does not fade. There is so much in this encounter with Jacob and the Lord. It begins with one, Jacob's isolation in verses 10 and 11. That isolation readies himself for number two, his intimate encounter with the Lord, verses 12 through 15. And third, after his encounter with the Lord, Jacob takes the initiative in verses 16 through 22. Let's dive into the word of God together here. In verses 10 and 11, we see Jacob, he has left his home. He is going to the land where his grandpa is from. George Bernard Shaw said, there are two great tragedies. One is not, is not getting what one wants and the other is getting it. Jacob now has lived both sides of this. He got, it, he got, sorry, got, it. He got what he wanted, but he also lost it. He wanted the blessing of the firstborn. He wanted the birthright. And by hook or by crook, he got it. And now he's driven away. I always wonder, it's like, I don't know what he thought that after he did this, Esau would have been like, oh man, I guess better luck next time. Especially when they acknowledge that he is not a gentle man and you're going to wrong him so bad that he's just going to take it in stride. He does not take it in stride. And Jacob, he has gained everything he wanted. His selfish ambition um, could satisfy it. And now he has to flee for his very life. Everything costs Doing what is right costs. Doing what is wrong costs. And you have to decide what price you'd like to pay. How much you value, how much you value standing in the Lord or standing with the, standing with the Lord or standing with this world. It was Rebecca's idea to have Jacob leave. And it was a wise idea because Esau is murderous with his rage. As she 
sees this as a great opportunity for him to cool down. I think most of us, that's how we deal with conflict. Instead of dealing with conflict head on, we run away and try to avoid the conflict until things cool down. Sometimes that's the right thing to do in a short period of time. If both parties are angry, you're not going to get much accomplished. But here's the thing. Just waiting won't fix anything. Eventually, you have to have the confrontation. It doesn't fix the problem. Jacob didn't offend Rebecca. He offended Esau. And this is only forbearance. It's not forgiveness. Esau is not chasing down Jacob. This is, that means that this is forbearance. Forbearance is a, is a term we use in finance even to this day. Forbearance, to those of you who have student loans, you know what I'm talking about. Forbearance means you don't have to pay, make payments on it right now, but the interest occurs and the bill eventually comes due. He much prefer loan forgiveness, where it's like you don't have to pay it back. This is forbearance, and everybody lives under divine forbearance, meaning the moment you sinned, the Lord didn't kill you and send you to hell for it, even though that would have been justice. But God, being rich in mercy, allows you to live your life, giving you chance after chance, bringing people into your life to preach the gospel to you so that you might fall upon the mercies of Jesus Christ and truly be forgiven. Jacob right now is living under forbearance. He knows that the bill will eventually come due. Maybe he could wait long enough for Esau to cool down, but a few weeks turns into 20 years pretty fast. Jacob is fleeing the consequences of his own actions and running towards, um, physically running towards a wife. That's what they told Isaac. The immediate concern, though, is Esau wanting to take Jacob's life. That's what's happening from Jacob's perspective. From Jacob's perspective, I'm getting out of my hometown. I'm going to where grandpa used to live so I can find a wife. From the divine perspective, from God's perspective, Jacob now is finally free from all the distractions of life. He doesn't have the family issues anymore that he created himself. He doesn't have his own ambition of obviously we'll go into great extents in order to get what he wanted. He doesn't have what is about to happen with, with, uh, with uh, Rachel and Leah and all of that nonsense. He's finally in a moment where really he's free from these distractions. You know, Jeb, Emma, and Calvin, you guys were over in El Salvador. You were free from those distractions of normal life. And that's when God could have those times to meet with you, to do this work in you. We have so many distractions in our life. And C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. I'm not going to go over the whole plot of it, but basically it's an elder demon speaking to a younger demon about how to mess this guy up. And in it, um, in the screw tape letters there, he tells him, just get him distracted. He, he couldn't keep him from getting saved. So if he can't keep him getting saved, distract him. Because that is the great work of hell, is to fill the universe with so much noise that people cannot hear the music of heaven. We have so many distractions in our life. You want, we wonder a lot of times, okay, how, when I'm praying, how come it just feels like I'm talking to a wall? When I'm reading the Bible, why does it seem like I'm reading a phone book? Maybe because you're so distracted, you can't hear the music of heaven. Jacob leaves Beersheba. We know it's Beersheba here, but he would have called it home. He is finally in a place in his life where there's no distractions, and he's finally ready to hear from the Lord. Here's another question for you. Who are the voices in your life? Who are the people who speak into your life? Are they godly? Do they have the things of God about them? Remember in Galatians how bad company corrupts good character? Who are the people you're allowing to speak into your life? What entertainment are you allowing to speak into your life? 
speak deep into your life. Most people's theology comes from the movies and music that they listen to and movies that they watch. What is speaking into your life? Are they godly? Do they have the things of God in mind? When you have nothing to think about, what do you think about? That's Tim Keller, who went on to be with the Lord. It's one of the things he said. When you have nothing to think about, nothing's taking up your time, what do you think about? Because that's what your God is. In verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba. Jacob leaves Beersheba. That's where Isaac eventually settles. After all the hollow blue with the king of the Philistines. It's also where the previous king of the Philistines made his oath with Abraham. Beersheba means either well of oath or well of the seven, because there were seven sacrifices there. I think you really could put that together, the, uh, the well of the seven oaths. Jacob, though, would have called it home. It's the only home he ever knew. For those of you who have, who have done this, do you remember what it was like when you left home for the first time? Some of you like left home and then you came back. So you have this unique perspective in your life. Some of you, you left home and you never came back and this has been your home. I remember when I first left home, like really left home, um, I uh, went to college in my hometown, Nellendale. That's where I met her over here. And uh, I, I remember when I was moving away, I had my own apartment over in Ellendale, and I moved over to Hayward in Iowa, where Becca was from, and she moved over to Illinois, and I didn't take the hint. And it, 15 years this Wednesday, it must have been okay. Um, and, uh, and I remember leaving Ellendale, and I knew that I wouldn't be coming back here to live. It is comforting to know that you can always, like, drive back home, but that sense of, this sense of anticipation... What's, what's the Lord have for me right now? What adventure am I about to go on? There, it's, it's, it's a little nervous because you're without a tightrope now. Jacob, he goes over to Laban, and I don't know what illusions he may have been under, but it's very clear. Nobody's there to help him other than the Lord. Mom and dad aren't there. Mom's not there to manipulate things behind the scenes to make sure everything works out okay for Jacob. In fact, he gets taken advantage of Worse than the way he took advantage of his own dad and his own brother. He leaves Beersheba and he is leaving the safety net. The proclaimers boasted that they would walk 500 miles and they would walk 500 more just to be the man who walked a thousand miles to drop down at your door. Jacob walks 500 miles and he doesn't walk 500 more. No, he works 14 more years for his bride. Haran is about 500 miles north of Beersheba. He falls asleep around 50 to 70 miles on, on the way and he uses a rock for a pillow and little does Jacob know he is now ready to hear from God. This trip mirrors the trip that Abraham's servant took to find a wife for Isaac. The servant came with an entourage and it would appear that Jacob is going alone with nothing but a stone for his pillow. In Jacob, we see Abraham's fear come to life of what would happen if Isaac had returned to Ur the Chaldees in Mesopotamia, that a few days could turn into 20 years. And that is what exactly happens with Jacob. It's at this moment in verse 11, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid, uh, laid in that place to sleep. It is time for a divine appointment. The isolation is setting Jacob up for a divine appointment. You ever read a portion of scripture again and again and again, then all of a sudden you read it like for a small group, maybe it's your daily Bible reading, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's like, bam! Yes, amen. 
That, my friends, is a divine appointment, even though you don't have something as spectacular as this happening. The Holy Spirit is interacting with your spirit. That's a divine appointment. There are so many divine appointments that you have throughout your day, and I would say that many of them you miss. I know many of them I miss, and it'll be years later, and I'll be like, that was God all along. I couldn't see it at the moment, but afterwards, I'm like, God was in this place, exactly what Jacob says when he wakes up. They come at God's timing. Divine appointments, they come at God's timing. They come at places God chooses, and they come according to God's sovereign initiative. Revivals are divine appointments. And we see sometimes revivals trying to be manufactured. And how do we know if they're manufactured or not? We just wait and we see the impact that they have. America had two major revivals in its history. We call them awakenings now. They changed the atmosphere of America. God send revival again. How do we know if one's been manufactured or not? Basically, it's the impact. The impact of this divine appointment is tremendous in Jacob's life. And mind you, he doesn't even know the Lord yet and has a tremendous impact in his life. When he is slaving away for 14 years for his future father-in-law who cheats him time and time again, he will remember that God came to him in his sleep in a dream and he saw the Lord. So that's number two, Jacob's intimate encounter in verses 12 through 13. Verse 12, and he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Jacob, he grew up about stories about God, about how God created the universe. Then the formless of the void, he spoke, let there be light and there was light of the creation of the first father and mother of Adam and Eve of their fall. He had heard stories about Noah and the ark and of Babel and of his grandfather who left the very place he was headed to because he had heard God tell him to go to the place that he would show him. He heard about his father Isaac who met with the Lord twice, but now he's about to meet the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. God has no grandchildren. You might come from a very godly house. A tradition of religion in your family, it means it's great in a way because you were raised up in the fear of admonition of the Lord. There's a blessing in that. It means nothing if he's not your God. It means nothing if he's not your God. There will be so many people in hell who they're like, but I was baptized. I was confirmed. I did all of these things. I went to church every Sunday and God will say, away from me, your worker of iniquity. I never knew you. There's a huge difference between hearing about the Lord and experiencing the Lord. In Psalm 34, in our small groups, we've been going over the Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jacob's starting to get that idea in this vision. Dreams and visions. Dreams are different from visions because dreams happen when you are asleep and visions are when you are awake. That's pretty much it. That's really it. Some people have visions like Isaac and others. Jacob once, uh, uh, Jacob here has a dream of God. What makes this dream different than even other godly dreams is that God meets with Jacob in this dream. His son Joseph, Jacob's son Joseph, will have a dream given by God, but God doesn't meet with Joseph in that dream. So this is a unique dream. It's even a unique dream amongst the dreams that God gives because God meets with Jacob in this dream. And we see in verse 12, we see him seeing this ladder. The beginning of the dream, the centerpiece is this ladder or stairway to heaven. 
I have my notes here, insert Led Zeppelin joke here, but Josh isn't even here, and Dave Dow would be the only one giggling, I think, at this moment if I did. So it's really, uh, it's really maybe even an escalator because we see the angels ascending and descending, and really what it looks like in, Dave, in Jacob's mind is not the important thing. What it is is important. It connects heaven to earth. God is not just in heaven, but he is everywhere. This is the great news for us. He is not some divine watchmaker who had made the watch, wound the watch, and is waiting for it to stop clicking so he can wind it again. Heaven is connected to earth. The God of the universe, who, he who is above it all, is also here with us right now. And we see these angels, they're ascending and descending off this escalator, ladder, um, stairway. Um, not much in the scripture said about angels. There's actually very precious little about angels. That doesn't stop people from making up things. You know what's important about angels? This is the one thing that's most important about angels. They are created messengers and servants, and that is it. They don't want your attention. They don't want, they especially don't want your worship. In Revelation chapter 19, when John the Revelator bows down to worship one of them, he tells him, stop it. I'm just a servant like you. This is how we know Christ wasn't an angel. Some people, like the Jehovah Witnesses, say he's Michael the Archangel. Angels don't accept worship. Christ did. That's the important thing to understand about angels. They're servants, they're messengers of mercy. Verse 13 and 14, we see, the, we see a vision of the Lord here that we don't see other places. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. This gives me chills because in the future, he'll be known as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is like an invitation. This is an invitation to you and me. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. How about you? How about me? I want you to be my God, the God of all the universe who stands above the ladder, the cosmos, he wants to be your God. He tells him, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of, I, I'm the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all families of the earth be blessed. That's Jesus Christ, the Messiah generations after that. That's me and you. At this point in time in history, all of our ancestors were just savage tribesmen. But this applies to you and me. Because all nations, all people, the earth will be blessed. The one who towers over all of the universe, there's a ladder between him and you. Jacob sees God and he is above the stairway because he is the one who stands above. People will start off sentences something like this. I don't think my God would dot, dot, dot. Would what? Do something you wouldn't do? Think something you wouldn't think? Have a standard that is different from your standard? Are you sure when you talk about God, you're talking about the true God of the universe, the one who stands above the stairway? Or maybe you're thinking about an idolized version of yourself, who's everything you wish you could be. If your God never disagrees with you, the chances are he's not the true God of the universe, but a God you've made in your image 
who's just a better version of yourself. He doesn't tower over you, but you tower over him. But Jacob sees a vision of God and he towers over the ladder. God towering over the ladder in his, this is his transcendent nature, transcendent that he is far, he is above us. In fact, however, with the ladder existing and this experience that he is giving to Jacob, it also means he is, here's a theological term, imminent. He is close. He cares. He's involved. There is a ladder between heaven and earth because he is close. Encounters with God are like this. They're left, we are left with two impressions when we have an encounter with God, and we see this throughout the Psalms. Great are you, God, and who am I? Great are you, God, and who am I? God is involved in your life, even in the most minute detail. Romans 8.27 says, And he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You're not on your own. Do you feel alone today? You're not. Do you feel like nobody knows what you're going through? There is one. And it intercedes for you both day and night. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to his purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What exists outside the counsel of his will? Nothing. All things according to the counsel of his will. We wonder and we say, where is God when things are going bad? We shout out God and we say, why aren't you doing something? And he responds back with, I am. Because right here is a ladder. Right here, right here in this room is a ladder to heaven and earth. Angels ascending and descending. Right here is the ladder. His messengers are ascending and descending this entire time. When God speaks to Jacob, he uses he uses the phrase I five times. How thankful are you that your relationship with God does not depend wholly on you, but it depends wholly on him. It wouldn't be much of a relationship if it was you because you are wayward. You con- your love for him constantly fluxes in and out, but his love for you never ends. It never lessens. It never slacks. We see this name in our English translations and your translations today, and you'll see differences between different spellings of the word Lord in here. Let me tell you about that, what they're translating. When you see capital L, lowercase o, capital, uh, lowercase r, lowercase d, they're translating the word, the generic word for uh, any sovereign, which is Adonai. When you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, they are translating the covenant name of God. When Moses asked him, who shall I say sent me? What is your name? I am that I am. So we shout out, God, why aren't you doing anything? He says to you his name, I am. And when he makes his promises to Jacob, he uses, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you, your offspring shall, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to the land for which I did, for which I will not leave you until I have done that which I have promised you. 
That's an encounter with the Lord. And you can have this encounter anytime you want. If you know the, Holy, if you know the Lord, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And you can hear, as you just heard today, the word of the Lord, I am. It's often debated about what this ladder, staircase, escalator actually looks like. If it is, in fact, a ladder like we would typically think of as a ladder or maybe a staircase, some people are like, it's an escalator, they're ascending and descending on it. None of that really matters. What matters, instead of the question, what does it look like? We should be asking this, this question, who is this ladder? Because this is the promise here that he tells Jacob, I will be with you. In John chapter 1, starting with verse 43, this is a section of scripture. You know what's wonderful about the scripture? It interprets the scripture. This is cool. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. I love that. Sometimes I'm done debating things with you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and see. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite, indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on a ladder, on a staircase, on an escalator, on the son of man. Jacob is having this dream given to him by God. He is seeing this ladder, staircase, escalator. It is Jesus Christ. He is what connects heaven to earth. We can only have a relationship through God the Father, through God the Son. Jacob has this incredible experience with God. And now we see in my, my third point here, his initiative. It's, it's kind of a little lackluster, to be honest. In verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than, this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Verse 18, I think is, as we go into this, it's a little, that's the lackluster, his response. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but, uh, but the name of the city was Luz at the, fir- at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, God said, I will, Jacob says, if God. This is the lackluster part of it. David Gusick about this, he's basically, if I was to summarize it, it's like, this is kind of disappointing because he has this encounter with God. He sees the staircase up to heaven. And he's like, if God does these things, if God will be with me and keep me the, uh, this way um, that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I will come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. What? 
I've been to so many camps. I've been to so many church services where, the, where we were, the eyes of our hearts were open and we could see the Holy Spirit and he was at work. And I've seen people weep and cry and it seems like something amazing was so going on in their life. But then as the weeks passed after that, I realized, no. There is a reaction when God works. But until God does something in our souls, we have the same response. Where we have this lingering doubt. <laughs> Jacob is still Jacob. He's not Israel yet. In World War II, however, with that said, he doesn't just be passive about it. He builds up the altar. He takes initiative. In World War II, there was a general named Patton. And he did not believe the slow way of doing things. He did not believe in getting entrenched and letting the enemy come to you. He always wanted his men to take the initiative. Always to go out. Always be on the attack. After all, if everyone knows the objective, then you have, have 100,000 heads, and that's better than one making all of the plans to the minutest detail. There is still leadership and strategy, but you don't need orders to shoot at the enemy. So many Christians have lead poisoning. Oh, I don't feel led to do that. So many things God has already led you to do, just open up the scriptures and read them. You just don't want to do them, and you're just hoping God's not going to literally write it on your wall. That's our way of getting out of disobedience, our way of getting out of obedience. God's word has so much stuff in it for us. In fact, I think most of the time when I'm talking with somebody, and they kind of have a bit of a hard heart, I know that already they know what they're dealing with and what they need to give up to the Lord. So I just want to bring that out in them, because they know that. We try to cover this up many different ways. And oftentimes we just do nothing because you're like, I don't feel led to do that. We need to stop having lead poisoning, start getting better. So many things God has already led you to do, you just don't want to do them. You're just hoping God won't write it on your wall. When we don't recognize where God is, Jacob wakes up and he recognizes God there, he, but he says, I did not know it. You know, we often don't know that either. We, act, we would act differently if we did. If we knew that every step, every piece of ground we step on, the Lord is here, it would change the way we do everything. In the movie, The Count of Monte Cristo, when Edmond Dantes is in prison, is about to take a beating from the warden, the warden tells him he can call out to God, but God's not in France this time of year. We ask God, where are you? Or why aren't you doing anything? And he's already said, I am. Jacob realizes that God is there and that he is, afraid, he is afraid here. This is a common theme we see throughout all of the scriptures. When somebody has an encounter with God, they don't treat it like it's nothing. They don't have this sophomoric attitude that we see today when people have claims that they've been with God or even been to heaven. I want to talk about something hard here. Use this as your standard when somebody says they have an encounter with God not charismatic personality. Nobody, has an, nobody in the scriptures has an encounter with God and they start cracking up and making jokes. Nobody has an encounter with God and then they make God less in other people's minds. I saw a video not terribly long ago. I saw it again today. And hey, you know something? If people publish this, I don't have any problem talking about it. But it was out of Bethel Church in Redding, California. And one of their leaders was talking about how to her, the Holy Spirit is like the genie from Aladdin. He's blue and mischievous. That is demonic and not funny. And there, there, there's a, another preacher. Sorry, I'm going to be stepping on toes maybe today, but Jesse Duplantis. 
His descriptions of his experiences with God are not just wrong. He's not just a liar. They're demonic because they make God less instead of making him more. If you really have an encounter with God, it fills you with the fear of the Lord. And it's not a terrifying fear, but it's an awestruck fear. It's something I don't think I truly understood until there was a tornado over my house one time. When I was younger, I grew up in North Dakota, just like Iowa. We get tornadoes. And I was tired of tornadoes spoiling summer fun. So when my sisters were getting ready to go to the pool, they're like, there's a funnel cloud. And I'm like, oh, whatever. So I look outside, I see some low-hanging clouds. And I'm like, you worry, warts, don't worry. It's just low-hanging clouds. They're like, no, look higher. I'm like, still don't see anything. I said, look higher. Right above our house. I don't know how far up it was because in my mind's eye, it's only like 20 feet, but it's probably much, much, much further is a tornado swirling above our house. And I was like a deer in the headlights. I had, I had an, kind of like Jacob here, that is awesome. And I never knew what that word meant until that moment. I never knew what true fear even meant until that moment, other than the fear of the Lord. Because here's the thing, I wasn't afraid that the tornado was going to steal our stuff. And I didn't even know, it didn't even drop on our house, by the way. So all the fear, whatever I had for it, it was all for nothing. Um, Here's the fear of the Lord. We understand how big the Lord is. And then we are so humbled and brought to our knees because we realize how much he cares for us individually. The one who made Jupiter, Jupiter has a storm on it five times the size of the earth. And it was an afterthought. Boop, it's there. He cares for you. And we go to the different places, to our works, to our jobs, go home, and we get so comfortable with these things. Do you realize that God has been here and that this place is awesome? What makes a place awesome? Jacob recognizes this place is really awesome. We really abuse the word awesome, and by we, I mean absolutely me. I say awesome all the time. This place is truly awesome because this is where God is. So he renames it. It used to be called uh, Luz. I almost said Lutz. Luz, which is a really garbage name for a place. He gives it a much better name. He calls it Bethel. Beth meaning house. El, the name of God. Bethel, the house of God. It is a house. It is not a house made of stone or of plywood, but where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord asked this question, Isaiah chapter 66, verse one. Thus uh, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you will build for me? And what is the place of my rest? Lord asked this question, you get to answer it. Here, O Lord, have I prepared a resting place. Long have I desired for you to dwell. We sang that song today. And it was an exercise in the adoration of the Lord. And it was a song, it was, it was that song, Oh Lord, we ask for the nations. Because that's our great desire is to see God glorified more than all other things. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? What is the place of my rest? Jacob, he sees this vision of the Lord. He calls it Bethel. He says, this place is awesome. And for you and for me, we are the house of the Lord. We are, this tre- that tre- we are jars of clay that this treasure has been put into. 
There are four things that Jacob does on his own from here. One, he sets up a pillar. He anoints it with oil. That's number two. Number three, he renames the place for spiritual use. And four, he makes an oath. Where does he learn to do this from? Abraham. Remember Abraham, he goes to a place, he sets up an altar. Parents, those who will be parents one day, grandparents, have you passed on to the next generation how to worship? Because that's what this is. It's not just a religion. This is in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus. When they talk about worship, they're not talking about singing songs always. In the minds of people, when they think of worship, this is what they're thinking right here. Have you trained the next generation to worship? Do they know what worship means? He learned this from Abraham. He has this experience. He knows what to do. It's what his grandpa used to do. And in this, uh, once again, we have this lackluster response from him, um, which is too bad. But once again, he's not Israel yet. God needs to go from just God, the God to my God. The God who stands above the cosmos wants to be your God. As the intimacy of our encounters with God deepens, so does our trust, devotion, and longing for him. Jacob's response here really isn't a good one. He knows that God is not just is not his God. So he makes a conditional oath, which is ridiculous because God never breaks his promises. And so many people are almost kind of waiting for God to break those promises, but he doesn't break his promise. He does everything he says he's going to do. God needs to be not just the God of the universe, but your God. David Gusick says of this uh, verse right here, the way Jacob prayed, it was evident Uh, God's mere word was not enough for him. He had to see God to do it before he would believe it. We should not be the same way. We should not be the same way, but we often are. God says, "And uh, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 19. He says the He says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust in him, Nahum uh, 1.7. We should believe these things even before we see them. You are encountering God right now, whether you know it or not. The latter is right here. What will you do with him? That's the most significant question anybody ever has in their whole life. What will you do with the Lord? The latter is here. The connection between heaven and earth is here. What will you do with the son of man and the son of God? In this, we see so many things for our own life. Here's one, get rid of distractions. Do you feel right now you're in a dry patch? Like you can't hear from the Lord. You read the Bible. It's like reading the phone book. You pray. It's like shouting words at the thing. I love Je- Jeb. I, I, you don't mind me talking about you, but you mentioned it. You talk about how like now you pray, you really feel like you're connecting with God. Because you were in a place where there wasn't the distractions of normal life. Get rid of the distractions in your life. If you're having this time where it's like, okay, I, I'm just not connecting with God, get rid of those distractions. Maybe they're the mundane, mundane distractions of this life. Maybe they're deeper distractions of disobedience and unforgiveness. This will stop you from hearing God. If you're holding unforgiveness towards your spouse... Don't be surprised that God doesn't hear your prayers. He said he wouldn't. If you are living in disobedience, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, and you're like, I don't understand why God isn't speaking to me when I pray. It's just like being in darkness. That's the first thing God wants to work on. 
Two, encounter God. Practice the presence of the Lord. There's this book by a man who's only identified as Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God. Expect to encounter the Lord. Expect to encounter the Lord. It won't be in this way, not all the time. Most of your encounters with God is when you get free of distractions and then you dive into his word because it's literally God speaking to you. You know, I believe and I know scripture is sufficient. It's all we need. It is God speaking to us. And so many people are like, well, that's not enough. We got to seek these other things. Well, here's the thing. When I think of the major events in my life, those pivotal moments, it was the word of God that made that possible. I I remember as a young man, I was in Bible quiz. We got some of our Bible quizzers here today. That's awesome. Get excited for this year. So I was in Bible quiz and I remember, um, I don't know if I should mention this because don't do this. Um, I would sneak into my church because they didn't always lock all the doors. And so I could study and don't do this seriously. (laughs) So I would be studying. I would be, I'd be in the basement of my church. And I remember memorizing Galatians. I remember just breaking down and just sobs because I could feel the heart of God. When Paul writes to the Galatians, become like me because I've become like you. And I could, it felt like I could feel the heart of God, of Jesus Christ, who though very nature with God, did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, but humbled himself to the nature of a servant, to death, even death on the cross. There was no, there's been no moment in a camp, in an emotionally charged environment. There's no music playing at this time, by the way. I'm just reading God's word in the basement of my church, which is kind of creepy at night. And I'm having this, I'm, I'm, I'm touching the heart of God. Encounter God, make encountering with God I said before, it's not normative, but encountering God in the Holy Spirit that he has deposited in you should be your day-to-day practice. And then from there, take the initiative. There are many things that you, I mean, pray about everything, but there are some things the prayer needs to be this. God, give me the courage, strength, and power to do what you've said. Not should I do when I know it's something that you've already told me to do. Give me the strength. Give me the power. Give me the courage to do the things that you've called me to do. Most direction we seek has already been spelled out for us. All we lack is the will to do it. Worship team, would you come up at this time? As I come up, I'm actually at the end of my notes here, but I'm going to go on a little bit. In that, when it comes to the call of God, emotions are secondary, will is primary. We decide whether or not we're going to obey I think oftentimes it is accompanied with great amount of emotions. Oh, my word. But don't confuse emotions with obedience. Sometimes we're like, okay, I don't want to go through the motions. It's not about going through the motions. It's about I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. I've decided to follow Jesus when I lose my job. I've decided to follow Jesus when my family's falling apart. I've decided to follow Jesus when my health is falling apart. There's no turning back. As the worship team leads us in our final song, I'm so not used to having Josh here. I keep looking over here. I'm like, where's he at? Worship team's going to lead us in our final song. This is our moment. I would say this to reflect on the word. No, this is our moment to encounter God. 
You've been encountering them this whole time. Now this is the time to get free from distractions. Worship team's going to lead us in this final song. Encounter the Lord today.